Let us, uh, let us begin our sermon with prayer. Um, you guys can come closer. You don't have to. It's up to you. You know, do your thing. Um, I pray, dear God, thank you for your word and thank you for giving us this to study it. And think about it a little bit this morning. Bless this ongoing discussion about sharing your word with our neighbors and the people in our life. Uh, please, God, just give us confidence and give us boldness that we can be your missionaries and we can be your, your salt and your light to the people in our life. Uh, so bless us as we study your a bit more deeply for the next uh, portion of our service. Bless our sermon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so last week in our sermon we talked about the power of God's Word. Right? We said last week God's Word is super powerful. It, uh, it never is without an effect. And so that is true every time somebody's reading the Bible. That's true every time somebody's hearing the Bible. That's true every time somebody's listening to a sermon. Um, but it's also true even when you are talking about Jesus in your own words. Right? When you're explaining what your faith means to you, even in a very simple way, that will never return empty. God will work through even the short sentences that you speak about your faith. God is sending the Holy Spirit to the people around you to plant faith in their hearts. So God's word is powerful. And it's good that we have such a focus on God's word. Uh, and it is good that we are learning and thinking about how to speak it in our own words. And yet with all this talk about words, today we want to be reminded of something about the world in which we live. And that is this. In America, in 2023, not just God's word, but any words in general, are no longer respected the way that words used to be respected. So you just think this through. Back in the day, you know, when your grandparents or your great-grandparents were your age, back in the day, if someone took the time to print out someone's words, it was for a reason. Like, not credentials to be a reporter or a journalist or an author Right? And so if someone wrote something and then some company actually went and published it and printed it in a book or in a magazine, that was not for no reason. That was because this person was probably an expert that knew what they were talking about. Words were important and words were valued when they were written down. If your words were written, it was for a reason. Today, in the Internet age, any person with no credentials can jump onto a blog or a podcast or Twitter or whatever they want and they can say anything they want for potentially the whole world to hear even if they're completely wrong. And as it turns out, in many cases, they are. Now we've gotten to a point where people are saying we live in a post-truth era. And then what does that mean? It means simply that we are so skeptical now of anything that we read or hear that we assume it's probably wrong. We assume it's probably twisted until proven otherwise. And so instead of immediately valuing words, what we do now in the modern era is we evaluate people. And we listen, we try to consider the source and think about who's talking and decide, is this a trustworthy person? So it's almost as though we're less interested in what people say and we're more interested in what they actually do. As the saying goes, actions speak louder than words. 
Does that make sense? You see that shift that's happened really with the age of the internet? I think this is why a lot of older people will sometimes get fooled by things on the internet because the assumption is if these words were printed, it must be coming from an expert. Younger people are saying, I don't believe anything until I know who this author is. This is probably a scam. This is probably a lie. We're very, very skeptical. We need to see some actions to gain the trust from a person before we even think about listening to their words. Right? So we're evaluating people's actions to see if they are trustworthy. And if someone is not being sincere, if they're not being trustworthy, people can smell it out right away. Let me give you a few examples. How would our society react to a cell phone designer who specializes in making cell phones for kids? So this company tells everyone, this is a cell phone for kids. And this is a great thing. It's going to be good for them. It's going to build up their brains. Every kid should have a cell phone. That's what the designer is saying. But then it comes out that in his own personal life and family, his kids are not allowed to use his cell phone or any devices because he's worried about the impact on their brain. And yet publicly he's telling everyone that every kid should have a cell phone because that's what his company sells. How do you think that would fly in our society? Probably not great. Here's another example. How would our society react to a social media influencer who goes out of her way to promote this particular brand of very expensive shoes? She's always posting videos of herself wearing these shoes. She's always talking about how great these shoes are. But then it comes out that in her personal life, she will not even put these shoes on her feet because they're so uncomfortable. And there's such a difference between what she's saying on her influencer channel and what she's wearing on her feet in real life. How do you think society would react to that woman? I'll give you one more. Um, oh, where did my picture go? There it is. Oh, this is supposed to be a surprise. How would our society react to a climate change activist who is, who is against any use of fossil fuels, any unnecessary use of fossil fuels, and they're going from protest to protest, speech to speech, and then it comes out that in their personal life, this activist is flying all over the place in an expensive luxury jet, burning massive amounts of fossil fuel. So we know how our society would react to any of these people. We would tune them out. We would ignore them. We would cancel them. We would stop buying their products because as compelling as their words sounded, their actions have shown them to be hypocrites. Okay, let me give you one more example. How would our society react to a Christian who claims to be a child of God on Sundays and yet during the week lives a life that is jam-packed full of evil and corruption. How would our society react to that Christian? Exactly the same way. Tune them out. Cancel them. Ignore them. Ignore anything they have to say. Because as compelling as their words might sound, their actions have shown them to be hypocrites. Sadly, that last item is not just a hypothetical. This is very, very common. Uh, you know that we live in an area where the majority of people do not regularly go to church. But what I've found from talking to people is almost everyone I talked to in Atlanta, almost everyone went to church at some point. Almost everyone has some kind of a church background. And why don't they go anymore? There's a variety of reasons. 
But one of the most common reasons is people say, I used to go, but some of the Christians that I knew and respected so much, they just turned out to be hypocrites. Their life was not matching up with the lofty words that they were saying on Sundays. And people can smell this out. And people start tuning out what the church has to say. So maybe you can see the implications for our sermon series here, for joining Jesus on his mission and sharing God's word with your neighbor, that if your actions do not align with your words, your neighbor is simply going to tune you out. So what do we do? How do we share the gospel in a world like this where actions speak louder than words? Well, as they say, the first step is admitting that you have a problem. Right? And we all need to admit that we have a problem. There are times in all of our lives that we have fallen short. And the reason is because we have a sinful nature. In our heart, we have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature is very selfish. And so our selfish, sinful nature will do anything, say anything, pretend anything, so that other people will give us what we want. We may not have the exact same flavor of hypocrisy, as the climate change activist who flies in a private jet. But what about the hypocrisy of being friends with a person when it's convenient for you, and then as soon as they really need some help in their life, that we just drop them? Or what about the hypocrisy of speaking out against wrong things that people do, and then going home and doing those same wrong things ourselves? What about the hypocrisy of complaining about that person who's always talking about everyone behind their back? Even though as we complain about them, we're talking about them behind their back. What about the hypocrisy of telling our kids that is not a good word, that is not a word that you should be saying ever, but where did they learn that word? It's because they heard us saying it. I mean, the list could go on and on. You could list big things and little things, but at the end of the day, our sinful nature makes hypocrites out of all of us. So, what hope can there be for us then as we're trying to share the gospel with our neighbors in this world where actions are maybe more important than words? What hope can there be for us? Well, as always, there's only one place to turn when we need hope, and that is to Jesus. Our sins and our flaws and our failures, this is the whole point of Jesus. This is why he came. This is the whole reason for our faith in him. The reason Jesus came to earth was to pour out his perfection over all of our imperfections and over all of our sins. Just think about Jesus for a minute and, and what he did. Picture not only his death on the cross, but picture Jesus' life. A life where he not only talked the talk, but also walked the walk. A life where he always practiced what he preached. A life where his actions always backed up his words. A life where instead of using other people to benefit his own life, he gave up his own life to benefit other people. You think of that perfect life that was lived, and it feels so high, high above us because it's so different from our flawed lives. But Jesus says through your baptism and through your faith in him, that life counts as yours. His perfection has been poured over you. And that is why God talks about you in the way that he does. Peter starts out our sermon text. 
being inspired by God. And here's what he says about you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And yes, Peter's writing to New Testament Christians, but who is he really writing to? Well, in the very first verse of his letter, Peter says this, this letter is written to those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. In other words, Peter is writing this letter to everyone in the world who has been brought to faith in Jesus. Peter is writing this letter down through the ages to you. And inspired by God's Holy Spirit himself, Peter says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Despite the hypocrisy that lives in your heart and mind, despite the inconsistency that is in your relationships and mine, you, we, have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And God has declared us to be holy, to be his perfect children, to be heirs of eternal life in heaven. There are times in all of our lives when we feel down on ourselves because of our sins, right? And yet the reality is you are who God says you are. And God has declared you holy. God has declared you perfect. And that is why when we start to talk about this topic of our own sinful hypocrisy, the only possible place to start is with Jesus. But then, the only possible place to go is to continue with Jesus. Because Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So that you may join Jesus on his mission. So that you may spread the good news of his love to people all across the world, but also to the people who are in your own life. And really, that's all that's going on as you talk about being a missionary to your neighbor. You're not pretending to be perfect. You're not faking it like you have your whole life together. You are simply trying to share with others some of the same selfless, unconditional love that God, through Jesus, has shared with you. And as you start to think of it in that simple way, you begin to realize something. It doesn't take that much. It doesn't take that much. It doesn't take a flawless life of, of moral perfection for you to make a lasting impact on your neighbor. Even a little bit of love can go a long way. In a sin-corrupted, deeply broken, selfish, selfish world, even a little bit of love can go a really long way. And that's what Peter pointed out to the early Christians that he's writing to. He said, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So let's dig into this verse a little bit. First, a quick side note. Peter is not insulting his neighbors by calling them pagans. You bunch of pagans. It's just a term. It's an accurate term for adherence of all these other religions besides Christianity. Most people in Peter's time were worshipping the Greek and Roman gods, especially in his more Gentile audience that he's writing to. Almost everybody in the Roman Empire was worshipping the emperor. You had to offer a worship sacrifice to the emperor like he was a god. If you didn't do that, it was almost like you weren't 
a good patriotic Roman. So these were the majority worldviews in this world, was the worship of other gods. Christianity seemed a little strange. Christianity was the one that was foreign and different, and people were suspicious about it. So Peter's not saying, your neighbors are a bunch of pagans. He's just telling the Christians, live such a good life that it, it wins the respect of the people around you, even if they have a totally different religious view than you have. And again, Peter explains, this can be really simple. This could happen through really small things. <coughs> In the rest of our text, Peter describes just one specific way that Christians could do a small thing that makes a huge impact on the people around them. And that one thing is showing respect for their government. Here's what Peter says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You're not silencing them with your words, you're silencing them with your actions. Your amazing actions of love, including the action of respecting the government. So here is my question for you. Why would it make such a huge impact on their pagan neighbors when the Christians respected the government? Why would that be so impactful? The reason is that the government was actively persecuting Christians at this time. The Roman government was hunting Christians down, throwing them to the lions. I mean, it was different at different times, depending who's in charge. But ultimately, Peter, who wrote this, was captured by the Roman emperor Nero, and he was executed for his faith. And yet, what does Peter write about that oppressive Roman government? He says, submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, Fear God, honor the emperor. And that attitude was just totally unexpected. Like, the pagan neighbors saw the Christians getting persecuted, and they assumed that they would probably fight back. They'd probably start a rebellion, start a revolution. But they didn't. Instead, the Christian response to persecution was to be the best citizens that they possibly could. And the results speak for themselves. Now, Peter didn't get to see it in his short life because he got executed by the emperor. But as Christianity pushed out of the Middle East and into the Roman West, it grew and it grew and it gained so much popularity that within a few hundred years, Christianity became the leading religion within the Roman Empire. How did that possibly happen? Well, it didn't happen because the early Christians lived these perfect holy lives, totally free from sin. I mean, they had their hypocrisy that they struggled with, just like we do. But it happened because the message of Jesus' love was coming through, not only in their words, but also in their actions. And in a totally selfish, sin-corrupted world, even a little bit of love can go a really long way. An early writer named Tertullian summarized what was going on in the Roman Empire. He summarized the Romans' sort of bewildered response to the Christians with this phrase, see how they love one another. See how they love one another. And it was surprising. It was different. 
So, like, in a nutshell, this is what was happening. The generally selfless love of the Christians for each other and their society, as God calls Christians to do, it made people curious. Curiosity led to conversations about what the Christians believed. Conversations about what the Christians believed led to talking about Jesus, the Savior from God who died to rescue us from sin and rose from the dead. And conversations about Jesus and the gospel were things that the Holy Spirit used to create faith. And now when you think about it, is this not exactly what Jesus had said was going to happen? The night before Jesus died, he did a very surprising thing. He washed his disciples' feet. You remember that act of unexpected love? And here's what Jesus said on that night. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And as we can see from the example of the early church, just a little bit of love can go an incredibly long way in a world that is sin-corrupted and selfish. Just a little bit of selflessness can go an incredibly long way. So, what does this look like for you? What does this look like for you as you interact with your neighbor and uh, as you're trying to make a positive impact with your actions so that people will take you seriously and listen to your words? Well, here is the good news. Quite simply, it looks no different than living the regular Christian life to which Jesus is already calling you. Right? What is the Christian life that you have already been called to? What is the view that you have? It is a life where in your family, nobody's perfect, right? But the common factor is that you're focused on forgiveness. That we always forgive each other, just like Jesus forgave us. This is a normal Christian thing. Or it's a life where you are trying, you're not always perfectly succeeding, but you're trying to put other people's needs ahead of your own. You're trying to do that, and that would be a normal Christian thing. A life where you are looking at the people in your community, all of the people in your community, and you are viewing them as people, not as means to some kind of an end. It's a regular Christian thing. A life where when you have hard times and struggles, you keep it in perspective by remembering the eternity that Jesus has prepared for you. Again, a regular Christian thing. And we're not going to do any of these things perfectly. That's what we have a Savior for. But in our sin-corrupted, selfish world, even doing what we might consider to be the regular Christian things are going to be far more impactful than we realize. And so may God help us to do those regular Christian things that are far from regular in our world. But as God's Holy Spirit already lives in our hearts and grows in our hearts, may God grant us lives of genuine love for others. And through those lives, may God grant us conversations where we get to talk to people a little bit about Jesus. And through those conversations, may God let us have a bigger impact on our world than maybe any of us could ever have imagined. May God do that for each of us in our own ways, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.